Today, on the Entrepreneurship at DU podcast. There was not a whole lot of hospitality happening during the pandemic, of course. So I started researching prohibition as it was deemed the Denver prohibition of 2020. This DU alum brings a fresh twist to the hard kombucha marketplace. We've got a lounge lizard that's like a mezcal paloma, like really funky, interesting flavors that I think turn people onto us. We're chatting with Anna Zesbaugh, founder and CEO of Hooch Booch. I'm Kevin Douglas, and this is the Entrepreneurship at DU podcast. Welcome to the Entrepreneurship at DU podcast. Today, we have our very special guest, Anna Zesba, the founder and CEO of Hooch Booch. Anna graduated from DU in 2018 with a major in hospitality and a minor in marketing. Hooch Booch was founded in July of 2020. It is your first startup, and in your words, Hooch Booch is a better-for-you beverage brand that offers both alcoholic and non-alcoholic options. And what sets you apart is your classic cocktail theme and your inspiration from Prohibition era speakeasies and whatnot. You get all that? Yeah, you got it. Amazing. Thank you for coming to the studio, Anna. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So we entrepreneurship at DU like to refer not just to ourselves as entrepreneurs, but innovators, creatives, problem solvers. What problem would you say you are solving with your business? Hmm. That's a great question. I think the biggest problem that we're trying to solve is the education behind why Better For You Beverages. Obviously, the market is super saturated, right? Consumer product goods, there's countless options of beverages to try. You can go all the way from pop or soda to iced tea to whatever it is. Um, So I guess in the NA realm, looking for better for you options that might have added benefits rather than just a water or something like that. And then I'll say in the alcohol space, um, education on why kombucha, why hard kombucha, and all of the differences behind why are hard kombucha versus other hard kombuchas and the integrity behind the product that we have. You said what sets you apart is your your take with the speakeasies and classic cocktails. I want to hear a little more about what inspired that and what you think really makes that such a unique product in this market. Definitely. Uh, so I went to school for hospitality management, like you mentioned. Uh, I was working in corporate events, and I got furloughed from my job due to COVID. There was not a whole lot of hospitality happening during the pandemic, of course. People were you know, connecting and getting together in completely different ways. At the same time, the mayor of Denver shut down all the liquor stores, deemed them non-essential businesses. Um, And and so I started researching prohibition as it was deemed the Denver prohibition of 2020. Found out that classic cocktails really emerged during this time to mask bad flavors of hooch or alcohol. At the same time, my sister was living in San Diego and hard kombucha was all the rage out there. And she was constantly sending me different Hard kombucha saying if they made their way to Denver, Anna, you've got to try them. So sparked something in my mind, hooch like prohibition, alcohol, booch like kombucha, and had me thinking, why does Denver, rather Colorado at large, not have really any local hard kombuchas? 
found out that there's quite a lot of barriers to entry, especially in the alcohol industry. Um, but that's the inspiration. So hooch being like classic cocktail prohibition alcohol, booch like kombucha. I'll say the reason it sets us apart is most of our competitors, I would say, are more similar to a beer or a seltzer. And I'm not talking about the product specifically, but the flavors, the ABV, they're more just like a hard regular kombucha, like same flavors, like ginger lemon or, um, you know, fruity flavors. However, we have um, like an old fashioned flavor that we soak on oak chips, orange and cherry. We've got a lounge lizard that's like a mezcal paloma that we infuse smoke into an espresso martini, like really funky, interesting flavors that I think turn people onto us and look for us on the shelf, um, especially because our packaging looks quite a bit different as well. Have you always personally been uh, a big kombucha drinker? Yes. I'll say maybe since, like, high school, so it's been quite some time. Um, I think I've always been interested in food and beverage and specifically kind of the health scene around that. Um, Yeah. Can you, just because I (laughs) am so ignorant on the space of kombucha, and when I think of it, I think of, like, you know, people describe it as smelling like toe fungus or something. like. Can you dispel some of those myths for me and talk about A, the health benefits and B, the taste profiles that actually make it totally worth investing in, in, you know, hard kombucha and non-hard kombucha? Yeah. So roll it back a little bit. Hard kombucha is a fermented tea. Um, So there's something that sits on top of a tea and a sugar mixture. It's called a SCOBY. And that's basically where the bacteria and the probiotics come from. So they have anywhere from six to 14 days, depending on the fermentation cycle, it's sitting and kind of creating a head on top of the brew. And that's where all of the benefits are coming from. You also get uh, the acidic benefits as well. And that's where you're talking about those vinegar profiles. And some hard kombuchas and some regular kombuchas are more vinegary, more acidic than others. Our brewers are founding members of Kombucha Brewers International. So they've been brewing kombucha since 2002. Uh, so I, I feel so lucky and so grateful to have them as an extension of our team because they really know kombucha and how it's meant to be brewed. Like when I first started brewing it, I bought a homebrew kit and I started brewing in my house just like everyone did during COVID with sourdough and, you know, mm-hmm. everyone was doing that. Um, and then quickly found out when you're starting to deal with alcohol, it's probably best to leave that to the experts. So, yeah, the, the benefits come from the probiotics that are coming from that SCOBY, the the SCOBY is feeding on the sugar and that's what creates it. And then there's also trace amounts of alcohol in the non-alcoholic product. We add champagne yeast to ours. So that is why our product, I'll say, tastes less vinegary uh, because we add in that champagne and it's also quite high in alcohol. It's 8.5%. So you're kind of diluting down, I guess, some of that kombucha for perspective in one can of our kombucha. It's about half hard tea and half regular non-alcoholic kombucha blended together to give you that hard kombucha at the end. Um, did I answer the full question? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. and I'm my, my hesitations are dispelled. I, yes. I definitely want to try some for myself. And I'll say some are still quite vinegary and it's also like consumer preferences. I think over time people have started to say like, I like a more vinegary option or I don't. It's just the kombucha space was so small to begin with. It, there was no like, Mm, governing body around saying what it what it is Mm -hmm. and so now I think there's a lot more 
education and more literature, um, especially coming from Kombucha Brewers International on what kombucha is and, and what it should be. And then you kind of get into this conversation about shelf stability and pasteurization of the product, which is kind of a whole nother rabbit hole we could go down. Yeah. I can't remember when it was when I first heard the word kombucha, but it was definitely not super long ago. So it's very interesting and cool that you're sort of on the, really on the front end of this industry that's clearly growing and expanding. Yeah, definitely. It is growing like crazy. I think they say, um, the hard kombucha space or the kombucha space is meant to be the size of the seltzer market, or at least that's what they're projecting by like 2026. So don't quote me on that. Uh, It's a bunch of different articles. Of course, it's just projections, but that would be ideal. (laughs) Yeah, I could definitely see that. I want to circle back to what you said about starting this business July 2020, you know, the prohibition of Denver. And not only what did you discover in your research about prohibition era that you think really um, contributed to Hooch Booch and your branding and your model, but also what challenges arose just from being in the midst of a pandemic. Was this really helpful for you as something to focus on because your work was furloughed and, and obviously other challenges during the pandemic? I want to hear more about that experience too. So I think the original inspiration, of course, like I said, I just started researching Prohibition because I thought it was interesting. Um, and it felt you know, eerily similar to the time that we were in. People were connecting in different ways. Everyone was isolated to their homes, perhaps <laughs> sneaking out to meet with friends, you know, it was it was reminiscent, I'll say. I think what really inspired me about the 1920s was also this whole, um, I guess, female empowerment with flappers as well. And I feel, especially as a woman in the alcohol space, um, there's a lot of rebellious spirit, spirit that comes along with it of like a, you tell me no, and I have to almost prove you right or wrong, which is interesting. And then along with that, I guess starting amidst a global pandemic is an interesting time to say the least, but I also don't really know any different. It's my first ever business venture. And to your point, I was at home furloughed from my job, not really doing a whole lot. Um, And so it was kind of the perfect time to start something. Like I didn't have to leave my corporate job to start something. It was kind of like, I guess the universe looking out and kind of pushing me towards it. So yeah, I I guess starting during that time, there's kind of two ways you can go with distribution. You can go the on-premise route, which is restaurants, bars, venues, and then you've got the off-premise world, which is liquor stores. And we gravitated more towards that when we initially started because, well, most on-premise establishments were closed. And also I feel sort of lucky for the timing because many breweries were closed. And so they were perhaps doing more production in-house, canning, bottling, et cetera. Uh, And so with that, a lot of them had extra production space. So that's when I started reaching out to try to find our first initial brewery, which to my first point, when I said um, there's a lot of barriers to entry, while kombucha, hard kombucha and beer are in the same category, they're quite a different fermentation process. And a lot of brewers are nervous about um, kombucha and how it could contaminate a beer product, similar to uh, a sour beer fermentation. There's just a lot more that goes into it. So that was one of our initial, one of my initial hurdles when starting the business, uh, just finding a brewery partner. Um, but then we, we did end up finding one. You mentioned being a female founder and feeling like you really had to prove people wrong. And I want to hear more about that, especially in the alcohol space. Were there moments that you felt that uphill battle? Did you find um, 
you know, being in Denver, which is a, a, a very entrepreneurial hub, did you find other female founders that gave you advice that really um, were helpful in the process? Definitely. I think initially upon starting, it's like you send email reach outs and I felt like no one ever took me seriously. And there were actually a couple of a handful of times when we've gotten connected to people and I would loop my dad in on the email and he would send an answer and they would have, and I would immediately get a response. And I don't know if it's because he's a middle-aged white man or if he was just a man or whatever it is. Mm. I feel like it, it definitely did make a difference. And the beer industry is primarily dominated by big beer. You know, you think of Coors, you think Anheuser-Busch. That's sort of what we're up against in terms of distribution. Um, They have, of course, huge checkbooks, big money to spend. Um, And so it's thinking about getting scrappy. And I'll say being a female has also worked to my and our advantage um, as it comes to companies wanting to support female support minority businesses. So it's a little bit of both especially when we're submitting to larger retailers. There's always a button now um, if we're submitting online or if I'm sending an inquiry or something um, where it asks, are you minority founded or are you female founded? So I think it's shifting. Um, it's definitely it's definitely not where it needs to be yet. Um, and then as far as other women or just other entrepreneurs in this space, yes, absolutely. I think it's like <laughs> the best way to have support because truly no one else knows what you're going through or what I was going through, uh, especially as um, a sole founder, like I don't have any co-founders. I'm part of a couple of groups, Naturally Boulder, uh, Colorado Food Works, and then I'm part of like a women's circle that meets once a month, um, all female founders. And that's not just specifically here in Colorado, but that's across the country. So specifically in that group, we talk about challenges with women, but then other founders groups um, are super helpful for finding resources or finding like what random Shopify app plugins do you use? Um, who, What can vendors do you use? Where do you source your ingredients? Things like that, that it's nice to have kind of um, a group of, you know, five to 10 people in my back pocket that I could call in a heartbeat. And, you know, they would do the same. Um, yeah, we just all help each other out. I'm really impressed that you never started a business before this. And you said you were a sole founder. And you you took the initiative to to make those connections and launch this thing from the ground up. I would love to hear what maybe sparked that decision to start a business. Like, even though you hadn't started one before, did you have app ideas or as a kid, were you mowing lawns or, or, or anything like that? Or was this truly you had this idea and you realized, like, this is kind of what I meant to do? I think I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit. You know, like I was always really crafty as a kid. I wanted to sell crafts. I was really into like beading for a while, like making jewelry. Yeah. Um, and I would sell it at like craft fairs and stuff. I guess I, I haven't really thought about that in some time. I've always known I wanted to own my own business, but I never knew what it looked like. And nor would I ever thought I would start a business at 24 years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So originally when I had the idea, I called my dad who actually does some mentoring for entrepreneurs himself. And I was like, I've got this idea. And I think I had brought a couple of other ideas during COVID that were probably not that great of ideas. But again, I was at home. I had lots of time for my brain to think. Um, And I think it was really that stillness that helped um, me take this business off. But I called him and I was like, I've got this idea. I can't stop thinking about it. And I'm not really like a business plan person. I'm more of like a mood board, like a visual person. And so I sent it over and I was like, here's what I'm thinking. Hooch booch, prohibition, alcohol. Um, And he's somewhat in the beer space in Minnesota. And so where I'm originally from. And he was like, 
yeah, I guess that idea sounds kind of good. I have no idea what kombucha is. Of course he doesn't. Um, but he's like, you should talk to my brewer. So he's got a, a brew pub with a couple of other um, co-founders as well. And I asked him about it and I talked to the brewer and the brewer was like, I think you're really onto something. I don't know much about hard kombucha, but I know it's an industry that's booming and I think you should go for it. And so both of that kind of in conjunction with each other, I think helped me get some outside validation because inside it was like, oh, I know this is a good idea. Uh, but it was almost like getting that external validation, especially from someone in the brewing space that knew at least somewhat of what the trend could be or somewhat of how the brewing process worked gave me the confidence to be like, okay, it's time to go. And I'll say I was already furloughed. Like I didn't have to, like I said, leave a job. I didn't have to quit and give something up. Like I was already in that place. There was really nowhere to go uh, but up. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I, I mean, I think it definitely speaks to you've always had the entrepreneurial spirit. The fact that COVID then puts you on this path of brainstorming other things just because your brain needed something to do. Um, my embarrassing startup that never happened during COVID was um, a dating app for movie lovers. And you could like put your profile movies that you liked and things. Um, I say that and you don't have to share if, if you if you're willing. I would love to hear some of those ideas that didn't see the light of day. The only one that I can really remember that I did bring up to him already kind of exists here. Mm -hmm. um, and it's like a refillable kind of like soap station, you know, where you can go like get your refillables. But I think I had thought about something more so like delivering it to your house. And the more that I looked at it, the more it was like, oh, yeah, this kind of already exists. Um and I think, yeah, it just wasn't really meant to be like when the idea of hooch booch popped into my head, it was like, I could not ignore it. Like it was all that was on my mind. It's still all that's on my mind. Yeah. Um, but yeah, other, you know, just like smaller kind of things, or I think I've always, so I teach yoga as well. I always thought it could be really cool to have like in conjunction a yoga studio with like a juice bar or coffee shop. But again, these are all ideas that kind of already existed out there, but I just thought I could do it better. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Future possibilities. I mean, it's all <laughs> under the, the holistic health yes. yeah. umbrella. Yeah. Um, I walked past one of those soap refill. It was like mm -hmm. laundry detergent yeah. refills yeah. places. It's such a good idea. It is really um, a good idea. And I don't think you could have too many of those. Same thing with yoga studio juice bars, especially in a place like Denver or Colorado. I mean, um, yeah, there are a dime a dozen and people support them all the time. <laughs> There's definitely a market here in Denver. Absolutely. Um, or Portland or wherever you got lots yeah. of hipsters. <laughs> That's um, why hard kombucha here is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back to when you were a DU student. If you could go back in time five years to yourself at, let's see, that's 2018, you'd be a Graduation, senior. Yeah. Um, what advice would you give that, that senior year self of yours? <sighs> that's a really good question. Um, I would say, like, try everything. I think I dipped my toes into a lot of different facets of the hospitality industry and kind of led me to what I liked and what I didn't like and what I was passionate about. And I guess I'm still sort of in the hospitality industry, in the beverage space. Uh, but I think, you know, it sounds cliche to say, but it's like we want to know exactly what we're going to be doing when we're 50 years old, when we're 18 um, or 21, let's say. But that's not necessarily the case. I think there's a lot of external factors that are out of our control. And so I guess with that, too, uh, I had this note that I had posted up on my mirror of my bathroom all throughout COVID. 
I did an initial uh, an additional yoga training during 2020 as well. And it was something that I learned during the training. It was trust the process. And I think it's something that has resonated with me day in and day out because there's countless hurdles, countless ups, countless downs as a found, founder, as an entrepreneur, as a CEO um, that oftentimes are out of our control. And sometimes it's hard to see like getting furloughed from my job, having to file for unemployment felt like the worst possible day of my life, two years out of college. I would never think at 24 years old, I would start my own company at 25, be launching a brand. And now here sitting at 26, like we just opened a tap room where, you know, operating in two states, like thinking back five years ago, I would have never expected to be in this position and it would have never happened without the COVID-19 pandemic, which is crazy to say. Yeah. So I have a couple rapid fire questions. Okay. I'm ready. means uh, <laughs> only one or two sentences max. You really got, got it. it. Bubble it down. Okay. Boil it down. Um, how do you define success? I would say it's an internal, not an external feeling. If you're looking for external validation, that's not what it is. It's like when I go home or when I hear other people um, saying that they've heard about Hooch Booch and I have no idea who they are, I'm like, ooh, how did that random person find out about it? That to me is success. Cool. And then what is the best or worst piece of advice you've ever gotten to back down <laughs> like that's uh, the worst i assume what that's the worst that's advice? the worst there yes to yeah. back down <laughs> um yeah that was the worst best my dad always says you know it's it's always going to take more time and it's always going to cost more than you think and i didn't believe him at the beginning and it is 1000 percent true <laughs> Yep. And finally, what's um, on the horizon for you? You mentioned there's a new non-alcohol. By the time this episode comes out, it'll be it'll be out, right? Yes. So lots on the horizon. We just opened Denver's first hard kombucha tap room. Uh, we're calling it a day to evening lounge. So we're open from 11 through the evenings. We've got um, some really great offerings during the day into the night, of course, with our products. Um, we're launching a non-alcoholic line of what we are calling boneless cocktails. Um, basically a mocktail. I just don't like the word mocktail. Yeah. I think it sounds like a kitty cocktail and that to <laughs> me just feels like, yeah. so, um, I don't know, childish. It's like, we want, we want people that are choosing not to drink or are sober for whatever, for whatever reason to feel a part of what we're doing. Um, and it also has added electrolyte benefits. It's called Corpse Reviver by Hooch Pooch. Oh, cool. A Corpse Reviver is a classic cocktail that was made from absinthe. Um, so it's a very botanical um, sort of morning after recovery drink or boneless cocktail for a night of imbibing out. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Maybe one day you'll teach yoga at the tap room, question mark? Yes. Uh, we actually have a launch party for the Corpse Reviver, and I'm going to teach a class, and then we'll do, like, a little hangout after. So yeah, I've done lots of, like, yoga and booch events. Um, I'm trying to wean myself off of them a little bit and have other people teach, but I still teach uh, four classes a week. Still. Cool. And yeah. then what's your favorite yoga pose? Oh. I like crow pose. It's an inversion. You're balancing on your hands. I think it's humbling, like a lot of things. Some days you get the balance, you stick the landing, and some days you fall flat on your face. Um, super reminiscent of, I feel like, every single day as an entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah. And where can folks find you online and the physical tap room, too? 
Yeah, so our physical tap room is in Rhino. It's at 30th and Blake Street. It's called Blind Tiger by Hooch Booch. Um, there's a story that goes along with that, too. <laughs> and then as far as our products, we're in Whole Foods Total Wine across Colorado. We're in Minnesota as well, where I'm originally from. And you can buy the Corpse Reviver delivered directly to your door all throughout the country. Um, drinkhoochbooch.com where you can find us awesome if you have time could i hear the blind tiger story yes so during my research of prohibition i found out that a lot of people would place um stuffed tigers or stuffed pigs in windows of speakeasies to signify illegal drinking was happening they were called blind because the cops didn't know about them so blind tiger is our version of a speakeasy and we do in fact have a stuffed tiger uh sitting there um but yeah, Blind Tiger by Hooch Booch, basically Speakeasy by Hooch Booch. Yeah. Awesome. And then I just thought of this. Are you in talks with any speakeasies here in Denver to serve your drinks at their bars? Yes. We have done a photo shoot at two already, Miller's and Rossi and Williams and Graham. And Williams and Graham, I know, used to carry our product. I don't know if they still do. It's interesting because we land in kind of this like weird category of like, yes, being a beer, but not being a spirit. Um, but it also makes a really good mixer. So some places, yes, some places, no. But yeah, we've been in talks with quite a few. Very cool. Yeah. Well, uh, Anna, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We really appreciate it. And we wish you the best of luck with a uh, future of Hooch Booch. Thank you so much. The Entrepreneurship at DU podcast was recorded in Marjorie Reed Hall on the University of Denver campus. You can find us on Instagram at DU Entrepreneur, on Twitter at DU underscore Entrepreneur, and on Facebook at Entrepreneurship at DU. Entrepreneurship at DU is part of the Daniels College of Business, which has its own podcast, by the way. Check out Voices of Experience, available wherever you get your podcasts.